How are you? G'day Alex, I'm well, and you? I'm very well, good to see you. Yeah, you too. I'll be a bonus episode. You are the last episode for the year for us, the last bonus. Now you're speaking to me, so you've obviously run out of people to talk to now. So it's Not you. at all. Now. Not at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really for community rather than anything else. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, like, we, we've always listened to the um, Agile Revolution podcast, which is a community thing, and no one else gets that. But it's, that's the reason... That's the reason you tune in. Well, it's the reason I tune into things like this is um, like it's when I hang around with long distance runners because they, they, they're the only one, other ones who understand what you do yeah. or why you do it. So it's, you feel a bit at home when you've got one of these podcasts on. Yeah. Listen, put a pin in that topic because I actually want to ask you about your running as well. Right. Cool. So look, I'm interested in, and it's kind of good that we haven't chatted that much until I'm recording now. I want to ask you all about your new role and your new job. So can you tell me who you are and what you do? I'm Adrian Fidelani and I'm the COO at a company called Ed Rollo and I've been there only oh, two and a little bit months um, after quite a stint at Envato, of course, um, where, I, where I worked with you. Ed Rollo is a company that's part of a movement, I suppose, Alex, where we're trying to be part of what education becomes in the future. So we'd all recognise that education, uh, many people that you talk to, parents especially, recognise that education still looks very similar to what we recognised in our own schooling and that it's probably starting to be unsatisfactory for a new generation of kids and, and students. So we're part of um, that and really happy to be part of that. We provide resources that replace traditional resources, textbooks, either like for like with a textbook that we write that does a much, much better job than traditional textbooks or online resources like uh, online tu tutors or teachers that help a, t a teacher in the classroom to get their students through the year and actually absorb much more of the material than they might otherwise, and um, practice exams and and really clever questions along the way that help these um, that help students to really take in a lot more, actually learn the stuff that that they're that they're being exposed to rather than just gloss over it, be exposed to it, rote learn it, recall it for the exam, and then never think about it again. Yeah, and as a parent, I've just bought a few eighty dollar textbooks for my kids next year. So um, so you do make a big investment in in materials that you're not really sure are any use at all. Well, you just take a flick through that that your your kid's textbook at the end of the year and see how many pages have still stuck together and you know brand new out of the thing, and you'll you'll realise how how uh, wasted your money is on those those things. I'm really really proud to be part of Ed Rollo, but what we're doing is very specific curriculum specific materials for for students that match the at the moment victorian and new south wales curriculums that really like a laser point hone in on the things that they need to know um within that curriculum so we mm. really there's no wasted anything in an ed roller resource yeah um, and they're either cheaper or comparable they're either cheaper if you've got the online resources or um, cheaper again if you've got the online resources plus the book because it's it's about the same cost as a textbook for both. Yeah, and much more engaging as well for kids these days, I guess, in digital online media. Yeah, and they can learn when they want, so they can avoid of video content in the world. That, that there are so many viewing hours now and viewing minutes that we can't fill enough. We can't make enough content in order to fill enough and to be plentiful enough that people can watch it all given all the niches that people are interested in because mm. you're watching at the bus stop you're watching it you know while you're waiting in the queue at, at the coffee shop you're, you're watching video all of the time more. so kids can do it that way they can watch on the bus they can listen again and again they can slow it down speed it up that's if they're looking at the video materials they can get thorough video answers to the questions that they're asked you know in a textbook you're asked a question 
you look up the back of the book, you got it right or you're wrong and you don't know why. Yeah. So our resources provide thorough video analysis from the teachers who are putting these courses together to say, you know, if you selected A, then that was wrong and these are the reasons why it was probably wrong. It's a common mistake to make. Yeah. So you get much more from that than you do just, oh, well, I've got it wrong now, I've got to wait two days until my class and I've got to, then I can probably ask my teacher if I remember or if I care and if they've got time. Yeah. Yeah, look, I know it is, but without making this a big ad for Ed Rollo. I know, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> really good place to work and, a, and a, a great bunch of people. For another occasion in my career, I'm exposed to a, um, an incredibly intelligent and energetic group of people, which is the joy and the, the blessing of being involved in technology, Alex. And these ones are largely former educators or have deep roots in education and their, their passion and their understanding of of how to make a societal contribution through education is inspiring. So I'm really pleased to be part of it. Um, hope to work there a very long time. Awesome. And I want to ask you about the transition as well. But before I do that, can you wind back the clock and just tell us about your kind of agile journey? Yeah, sure. Uh, how you I'm, came to um, it? I started life in my career as a printer. I'm a, like I'm a qualified printer. Did you know that? No. Like printer. Um, <laughs> And that's um, an industry that was really overcome or swamped by technology. So in my career lifetime, um, I've seen it go from actually physically placing lead type into a chase and locking it up and then locking that into an old Heidelberg platen press and, and printing things that way to uh, um, and Macintosh LC2 um, that uh, would output to a laser printer and then we'd make a plate that would go on the litho press to direct to plate to direct to print to like the whole the whole thing just are you actually 60 years old adrian <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like that and i loved i love print i love the craft of it uh i love the art of it and i'm, and I'm colorblind alex so i was i liked the fact that i could um quantify colors by percentage and mix them if i just knew the formula for making a color i could just make it right <laughs> it's it's 20 percent of this it's 40 percent of that so i liked all of that but technology started to take over and i just sort of was lucky enough to meet the right people or who clued me into, you know, you want to be driving the right, you want to be driving the car at the front of the grid here. Um, see if you can get in that. Um, so I learned the Mac and then when um, when I saw that the internet was coming, I sort of veered towards software development and learned a bit of um, Apple script and then VB and then um, ASP. And then um, now I'm a web developer because I've got ASP. It's all Microsoft stuff. And now I'm in newspaper advertising technology and now all I've got to do is get rid of the newspaper bit, and I'm in the internet technique, solely in the internet technology. So I did all of that. At some point, I realised that I'm not as good a developer as the guys I'm hiring straight out of university who are, you know, 20 years old or 22 years old and, and just killing me already. So, uh, But I did notice that I probably I was a little bit more outgoing and maybe could string a story together a little bit. So I thought I'd lean on that, become a uh, manager, people manager, general manager, project manager, and that's where I hit Agile in about 2005. The story I tell about it is that I was sitting there levelling my resources <laughs> in Microsoft <laughs> Office one day, in Microsoft Project one day, and the computer told me that this is like in April, it's a 12-month project, and I'm looking up in September, and I see that on September the 29th or something, a guy that we had named Jimmy, Jimmy he was a programmer with us, and Jimmy was, I, I knew what he was doing in September in before lunch. And I just sat back, it's like nine o'clock at night and I'm killing myself to get this bloody um, project plan done. And I'm, I pushed my chair back from my desk and just said to myself, like out loud with no one around, what the fuck is this? Like, what, I'm lying here. I don't know what Jimmy's doing in September. It's April. 
And so I, got, I thought it's got to be a better way. It started to look like we all did. I imagine we all had these sort of wake-up moments. Started to look around on the internet, found Mike Cohn. I found Jeff Sutherland's writings, <laughs> Faber. Um, the, we oh, found um, Alistair Coburn. I found all of these these books. That And later on, Henrik Nyberg had his uh, Scrum and XP from the Trenches book. Like the, all these things were online. And people were giving stuff away. Oh, just do it for free. Oh, you know, And it was amazing. Agile Australia would go along to these conferences and there'd be people there who were sort of, uh, no secret, no closed shop, like, how, how do you do it? Oh, this is how I do it. It was a really exciting thing to be part of. I just felt so at home in this community that I never wanted to leave. I haven't wanted to leave since, although probably, you know, veered away a little bit now from software development and teaching teams how to build software into more what interests me today is like agile ideas applied at organisational level. How do we operate? How do we organise? How do we um, align, how do we, you know, how do we have more fruitful, how, that's maybe the, the essence of it, Alex, how do we have more fruitful and re- enriched lives through our work uh, because we're working in a certain way and because we're behaving a certain way and treating each other in a certain way and what do we, what do we personally come away from that with that's more than just clocking in, clocking off and, you know, picking up a few hundred dollars each week uh, so that we can pay the bills, you know, and that's what I've really got out of Agile and what still today excites me about it and inspires me about it, sitting here talking to a person like you, Alex, that I otherwise wouldn't know or have had the chance to sit around a coffee or a beer with and just talk about, just talk about our lives and, and how we're living them through our work. Yeah, nice. I'm so interested in what the transition's been like because you were, how long were you at Invato for and you made quite an impression there. People are still talking about you. And you're being cited as a reason they went there. Uh, and Butter's a great place, great best uh, best job I ever had. Uh, it's uh, so I, I talked. I'd always talk about being lucky, and I've, I've already sort of hinted at it in this in this talk with you. But I, I feel the luckiest person in the world to have to have been exposed to technology. But more so, I've been in fields of technology that. Um, and I suppose it's selective. Like I haven't worked at an insurance company or a bank or a, an REA, you know, or a or a car sales where it's advertising. Mm. Well, actually, that's not true. I worked at a, a company called AdSlot, and we were about <laughs> trying to make a, an online auction um, platform for display advertising, and we'd sell it to REA and we'd sell it to car sales. And I found it very hollow. I suppose I've been lucky to be to be part of. Things like Envato, things like AdLizard, now things like Ed Rollo, where you really felt that the people who were using the product were benefiting greatly from it and like their lives were better because because of it. And that's what Envato was and is. It's, an, it's a way to reach people all over the world and give them an opportunity to live a better life because they've got exposure to eyeballs that might otherwise never see them, that they might not ever see. That was Envato. I was the program director there. And so I was their first agile coach, I suppose, and I had Helen Soonis hired me to try and bring some what she called some discipline to the agile the agile approaches that were already being taken there. And I tried to do that, uh, but she, she was very pointed. You must not lose the essence of this place. You must not kill the vibe here. And that was good advice, and I tried to do that for oh, three years. I was the program guy, and, you know, you, you know, you recognize all the stuff I did. I had cards stuck to walls and I had teams doing stand-ups and I had... One, two, three retro, was it? Or one, two, three agile? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I had more and more gimmicks and my my slogans <laughs> that were that I was <laughs> trying to um, use to make people ca- to catch on, to get, pe- to, ca- to get people to catch on. It's not your process that's important. It's your process for improving your, your process. Yes, all the, which you know, all these little slogans that I'd have. Yeah. 
Uh, in the end, I was the general manager of, a, of one of the groups there, the content group, which was uh, one of the great privileges of my life, I reckon, because it was the it was the job within the company that ultimately represented the author community, the people who were selling their stuff. And if people who don't know what Envato is, it's sort of like Etsy for stuff you can download. And the people who would sell on our platform may otherwise not have had a chance in life sometimes to, uh, and through Envato, they, they, they were given one, uh, an opportunity to really prove themselves. And I felt a real kindredship with those people. I felt I represented them and was there to encourage that environment in which they could have a better chance. So, uh, yeah, transitioning from that, uh, so there, oh, I'll tell you this, there were 100, 110 people or something in that, that group and we were in, we're on every continent uh, with the distributed workforce that Invato encourages. And it was go, go, go all of the time and lots of money involved because Invato makes lots of money. Um, I felt lots of responsibility. I felt, I felt overwhelmed at times with the, the scale of the problem and the, the scale of the consequences of a mistake made in terms of millions of dollars. And I loved it for, for all of that. But I mostly loved it because I was around my best friends, you know, the people that, I, that I'd come to love over those years. And um, there were a couple in particular in that content group who, who I saw every day and couldn't wait to go and, and hang out with. Um, so at the moment, I'm transitioning out of that and sort of weaning myself the, off the Envato mother and, and making new relationships and making new friends over at Ed Rollo that I'm sure over time will become just as close to me as those others over at Envato. That's been the hardest transition. The other thing is... After five years in a place, you sort of you're very confident in what you're doing. You know the business backwards. You know the the marketplace. You know the market backwards. You know the technology backwards. You know all of the teams and people backwards. And you feel like you're in a position like that in that GM role. You feel like you can do things and you you can make decisions and act and make things happen fast as you like and sort of pull your weight for the company a bit and feel like you're earning your money. But then you walk into a place where you know nothing and you're no one's asking you questions or advice or what do you think of this? They're mm. just trying to absorb stuff. Yeah. That's a hard transition. Mm. I'm interested in sort of what do you do when you walk into a new place day one and you've had five years of habits built up from your old place and how well, do you I'd like to square my shoulders and jaw and, um, and look everybody in the eye and, and have a bit of a presence because this is startup. There's 80, 80 people at Ed Rollo yeah. and they've, they've got – a good product market fit and they are you know proven now that there's a there's a real opportunity here to grow this worldwide mm. but all of the people there are completely utilized in the production of value for the company so mm. everyone's involved in the production in the product in creating delivering product it's yeah. fantastic so when a when a person with a title with an operations title comes in and uh, and they're from a bigger company with with supposedly more experience etc people start you know you feel the pressure of people's eyeballs this person's going to solve a lot of our problems we've got no you know the toilets aren't cleaned well enough or <laughs> you know anything that's yeah. happening in the office or we just don't talk enough or our projects we can't we don't know we don't know we don't have a, a good line of sight to all of the projects that are going on this is we don't. Um, I don't know what's going on in other teams. Yeah. You'd be coming with an operations title and, and some experience and, and people have great expectations for what you're going to be able to do and achieve. And you feel that I felt I have felt that pressure so far. So on my in my first few weeks, I'm listening, I'm talking to everybody. I've done about 50, 55 one-on-ones um, in the first couple of months, half an hour or an hour. Yeah. Just talking to people about what they see, how they feel, what they 
think you know I might be able to do to help them. Yeah. Uh, so I just ask a lot of questions, uh, make a lot of notes, and I'm trying to group those notes together into common themes mm-hmm. and let that guide my first few actions. So mm. I'm sort of cheating a bit, Alex, by talking yeah. to people and saying, here's a big band of, of comments that are in this particular problem space. Yeah. I could make a lot of friends really quickly if I can have a big impact in that space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's how I'm doing it. I'm trying to yeah. Yeah. Find the low hanging fruit. Find the most important things to do for the people who work at Ed Rollo. Yeah. And serve them as well as I can, as quickly as I can. Yeah. Now it explains why it's so hard to get time with you because you're filling up every minute of every time with meeting new people, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's. I am, but I, I, I'm also travelling to schools as well. So yeah, I'm right. I'm getting out to as many schools as I can. So once or twice a week at the moment, I'm going to a school with a, a learning innovation associate that they go out to the schools and they support schools in learning the stuff. Um, and they're training and they're selling and they're pitching. They're trying to extol the virtues of our product inside school communities and, and get teachers on board. Mm. So I'm out there learning a lot about how schools operate, how they make decisions. So I'm just mm. I'm travelling a lot. I'm meeting with a lot of people. I'm preparing presentations that now I'm starting to make in yeah. my efforts to make an impact or, you know, um, expose the company to new ideas. Yeah. I'm doing all that. So, yeah, pretty busy. But Gemba Walk. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, source. I'm around the place. I'm, yeah, I'm looking under it. Um, I'm hanging out. I'm just hanging out with people where they are. (laughs) Yeah, cool. An observation that I've made of yours, um, Adrian, better or worse, is that you're really strong on metrics and process and discipline like you talked about. So things like the Monte Carlo, one, two, three, Agile. Why do you think that is? Is that inherently in you? How does it serve you? And and how does that apply when you go into a a new place that might be, you know, less established and a bit more hurly-burly? I think it. I think it is in me the discipline, I suppose, or routine and, and and making good habits. So yeah, I just when I grew up, it's just a very fixed view of how you live and how you be a person or, or a, a grown up and and a man, I suppose. And when you're a man, you, you get up every day, you have a shave, you put on an iron shirt, and you go to work. And every four years, you vote Labor, and <laughs> and and you know you'll go on like that forever, and it'll be fun. Well, you'll wonder what we ever did without trade unions. Um, so the discipline in like just routine and doing things um, every second, uh, every Tuesday, Thursday, I go to footy training. Every Saturday, I go to the footy club. Every And when I finished, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I go for a run. Every Sunday, I go for my long run. Like whatever it is, these routines mm. appeal to me. And so I suppose when you find Scrum and it sort of talks about those same things, routine, go over it again. Oh, we do the same thing on the same day at the same time. But it's always different. But it's a routine you can just rely on. There's mm. a great comp- like. I think it is in me that I grew up that way thinking, oh, this is how you do life and that just spoke to me a little bit. Mm. So, but And I think it's a great strength of, of Agile is that the process gets out of the way once you make it a routine and once you make it a habit. So if you're not, like at the start when you're learning stuff uh, and you, well, you are sort of dedicated to the process a little bit and you're, and you're implementing stuff and you're going through it and you're doing it, you know, you're in that shoe phase and you're really just going, doing it by the book. You're very constant. You're very concentrated on the process, but after a while, you find oh, that's disappearing. Once, it, if you, without even noticing it, after a while, you realise that's. I think that process is disappearing here. You can mm. see a team start to go. Oh, they're just in a habit. Like mm. they know it's coming up, so that's out of the way. They've got a structure now that they work within that provides them all of the interactions and planning opportunities that they need, and the right and the right opportunities to demonstrate what they've built and um, talk about the next thing and cover, you know, join all of the dots. Yeah. They've got a structure for that that's just happening yeah. and now they can get on with stuff when it's done right, Alex, mm. of course. 
in you'll recognise in the in the game. A lot of people still they're down on agile a little bit the last few years because they see it as a very as a heavy process driven cult that uh, wants them to do things a certain way. And yeah, they're right when it's when it's forced on them and um, uh, when they don't believe in it. Yeah. Um, I would agree. You know what you just said about habits? There's a, a person that I read and listen to called Gretchen Rubin and she's got a podcast called The Happier Podcast and she's all about habits. And the way I describe it to other people is no one ever thinks about putting on a seatbelt anymore. It does, mm. it's, no, it's no effort. You just put it on when you get in the car. It's automatic and it's yeah. there every day keeping you safe. Yeah, yeah, and those things become fast. So I've got a similar, I've got a similar story to tell. So those things, the reason you become fast is because you practiced it slow at the start. You went about it, and it got out of the way. So a guitar teacher I once had said, "I want you to practice everything really, really slow." Um, he said, "I bet you can tie your shoes really fast." And yeah, I can. He said, "Well, I bet you never practiced it fast. I bet you never even think about tying your shoes fast or tying your shoes at all. It's just you practiced it slow. You did it again and again and again." And now you tie your shoes really well, really fast, without even thinking about it. And those those habits, whether they're agile habits or life habits, just become they're the things that help you become great. I think mm. that's really great. And I'm learning the guitar, so I am going to put that into practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing, you've got a bit of well, you've got lots of hobbies on the side. I'm going to ask you about a couple of them. <laughs> and because it's actually quite inspira- inspiring to me, so you might not realise that you're inspiring other people with these things, but running is one of them. And I've seen a YouTube video of you running to work, which I think you used to do once a week or something. Yep. And I've also read your blog on super running. So tell me about you and running. Uh, running is something I've done, again, since, jeez, oh, now I'm realising how much I have, how little I've changed since I was a boy. Um, I ran, or just ran around a lot when I was young. I liked running. I liked all of the athletics, carnivals, and I played basketball. But I just, if I, re- if I reflect on my childhood, the two overwhelming uh, memories are being fearful all the time of just nothing, being just scared of nothing all the time, and uh, running around, just running. So... Uh, when I um, got through my teens and, um, you know, sort of grew a bit, I took to footy, but the, the aspects of footy that I like were the running aspects. So I wouldn't go into the gym, but I'd eat up all of the pre-season training. I just played local footy, eat up all of the pre-season running, and I liked it. And when I finished footy, I continued the running and um, built up and built up until I just ran every day. Uh, I, I stopped short of saying it's an addiction because, you know, I'm not running so much now because I'm older and injured and I'm not dying of, of not running, but it is certainly something that you come to depend on in the same way that I think people depend on their yoga or their meditation or their their mindful practices. You mm-hmm. become very um, very reliant on them for getting the shit out of your head every day. Mm. So I, I did. Well, that was me. And I could run. I'd run, <laughs> I'd run to work and I, there were places on, on the run where I'd close my eyes for 30 seconds and just run <laughs> because there was no one around. It was, you know, 5.30 in the morning or something. It's, I was on the, um, the freeway trail up, up the eastern freeway and I'd be, I knew there was a straight piece of track where I'd just shut my eyes for 30 seconds, listen to what was on, going on around me and as long as I felt the, the, the hard stuff under my feet, I knew I was on track so I was just completely at peace. That's amazing. Oh, it's a beautiful. It is. A, it's a beautiful place to be, and, and people get it in their lives different ways. Mm. I get it from running. Now, see, sadly, injuries have taken a toll, and the, and the reason I'm off this morning is to go and see yet another doctor about another knee problem. Um, so it's holding me back a little bit. You want to live a long time. You want to. You need to fill up your mind and your body with. You know, you need to keep your mind and your body active. I think, and I do want to live a long time. 
so you know my mind's always active and um i like to find the time to put the body through its paces as well yeah i do get the sense that you're one of these people that's always switched on and you've got another fun little habit, which I didn't know about uh, from you. I think I heard about it from Erin, which was you're a bit of a seamstress, which is uh, hopefully that's not a sexist term. but Yeah, I have a, um, I have a 60-year-old Maya Victory Supreme sewing machine, which is a Japanese sewing machine in uh, royal blue uh, and white. <laughs> and I bought it on eBay or somewhere you know, ages ago, 10 years ago, and I started making dresses for my wife which she never wears. She never wears She never wears the dress that I've made. But I make them and I just keep making them. And it's a good habit. It's just a good hobby. Like it, you, it's like jigsaw puzzles that people can use. It, you've got to cut them out and you've got to um, stick them together. It's, it's a good hobby. I like oh, sewing. I, I also um, sew nothing quite as ambitious as dresses though. But um, Oh, yeah. My son wants me to make him a shirt. He's, bought, he's bought, come home yesterday with a doona cover. Yeah. Buck Lightning, the guy from um, Toy Story, he's got yeah. that on it. <laughs> he wants a shirt made from Buck Lightning Duna, Dune material. Shirt's quite complicated, I would have thought. Nah, yeah, but it, he wants to wear it to a Falls Festival and get drunk and then leave it there, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> but the sewing's just another, that's another running, really. It's just, what do you do? Yeah. I think I might have spoken to you about this before. If you cut, it, if you cut television out of your life, largely mm. you're left with loads of time to fill and running and sewing and um, reading and, you know, they suddenly become easy things to do. Mm. Working on a car, yeah, you can do you can do whatever you want if you just cut out telly. Yeah, well, I saw that on your TED Talk. What was it like giving a, a TEDx talk, which seemed like you would handed that challenge at short notice? Um, oh, it was good. It was, um, it was good. I did it for Fabiano, whose wife was organising that um, event, and, yes, Sean, Sean pulled out, so I did that talk. Ted, look, it's it's pretty good to do a TED Talk, but you feel the weight of expectation. It's a TED Talk and, you know, people know what TED Talks do, uh, what TED Talks are or supposed to be, so you want to get it right. So I practised I practiced and practised for that last week to get something across that I thought was novel and, it, yeah, it was good, really good fun. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. I'll tell you, my, my mate, um, <laughs> my mate's my son's basketball coach was going through the assistant principal's training um, for Victorian um, government school and they have to do a special training course to do this. And he turned up a basketball one day and said, hey, you're in the, you're in the course. We have to watch your video and, <laughs> and make notes on it. So you know, not local fame but at least a, a bit of uh, local notoriety amongst the teaching community. Yeah, you're on the syllabus. I'm on the course. Brilliant. In terms of your work, walking to a place where, you know, they probably haven't got established ways of working that would match where you've come from. Um, but like you say, they're all busy creating value and, and you're finding out how they're doing that. How important do you think it is for teams to have freedom? Because I can imagine myself as a, as a coach, I'm out there trying to say self organized teams, self-directed teams. Mm -hmm. But if I put myself in the position of a COO, I imagine that there's also that tension between I also want to have control and understand yeah. where things are at and um, know what the direction is. So what's your yeah. opinion on that? Well, it's essential, of course. So I'm there because um, Edvardo, sorry, Edvardo taught me a little bit about, you know, scale and how to do that. And Edrolo wants to be bigger and or senses that it's going to be bigger. If it's going to venture into other markets, you're going to need to get bigger by headcount, by customer base, by revenue, by everything. It's going to grow. Uh, so um, 
in thinking about how I might contribute to this to scaling at Ed Rollo, it's central to what we what we uh, it's central to our success. Uh, so dear, deadly serious, it is the most important thing because you can't grow at the rate you need to grow these days if you want to control everything yourself top down. Mm. You're going to lose, lose track eventually and, and things are going to get out of control whether you like it or not. So the most important thing you can do is align everybody in the organisation with the purpose and the mission and the vision and all of those traditional sort of words we might use for helping people have their own journey that contributes to something that's communal, something that's greater than themselves. So they need to know where we're going, what is this company about, what are we trying to achieve in the world? And now if we all like look each other in the eye and say, yeah, we're all clear on that, right? Okay, now get out in the world and make your contribution, make your own decisions locally that help move us towards that goal daily as fast as we can. And you need the freedom and autonomy to be able to do to do that. Um, and I'm really saying, and that's definitely the attitude at um, Ed Roller. Make your mistakes, keep going, mm-hmm. press forward. You understand what we're trying to do. You still understand what we're trying to do. And largely that's what I'm about at the moment is give Ed Roller opportunities and occasions where they come together to discuss what we're trying to do mm-hmm. at a um, at a very high level and then maybe a level down where the teams share what they're trying to do um, so that all of those jigsaw puzzles can fit together when those teams again disperse after that interaction and start working on their own little corner of the world. Mm. They don't have the freedom. If they don't have the autonomy without or if they have that without the alignment, I don't think we can scale fast enough because we're not global yet mm. but um, we'd like to be in two or three years. Um and to do that, we're going to have to move really fast because there'll be competitors pop up all over the world that that we might not be able to oh, might not be able to overcome if we're if we're too slow. Mm. So to scale this or anything in technology or um, uh, in this field fast enough, you need to give people their head and need to be able to uh, trust that they're going to make the right decisions aligned with what your company's trying to do every day, every minute, every week, every planning interaction, every. Um, every juncture, every pivot point, every time they need to make a decision, it's a good decision that's in line with what you're about. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to hey, you're going to try and um, uh, have a military-style um, expansion into other regions and, and other markets. Maybe it won't work. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't do it fast enough, right? So the, the example I'm, the, I'm using a bit at the moment is Coca-Cola versus, like you said, TED. Right. So mm-hmm. when Coca-Cola wants to expand. It says, well, we're going to get a local bottler, we're going to get a local distributor, we're going to get a local sales force, we're going to put a vending machine on every corner, we're going to put billboards up and we're going to invest thousands and thousands of dollars in people um, and equipment locally so that we can expand into South Africa or wherever they're trying to go. That's how they do it. But Ted um, uh, had the San Franciscan conference where everyone would want to go and they've got a 12-month waiting list for a ticket to the Ted conference and you can't scale that too well because it's a unique experience. So to scale that, they sort of make a platform of it. They sell you a kit that means you can run your own local TEDx conference mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, uh, and that means that they've got scale because they've, give, they've given autonomy to a local unit of people with guidance around how to run a TED talk and what, what you know, a TED conference and what we're about. Here's the kit. Get a circular, get a circular piece of red carpet and make people stand on it. Um, make sure you've got this font in the logo, whatever they've got. This is how you make a TED experience locally. Now, get on. Go for it. We don't want to know. Look, we'll see the videos when they turn up online. Now, that way you can scale TED. Um, it might not be the, you know, the same authentic TED San Francisco experience, 
but it's, it's a way of scaling. So I think you, know, you, you can do it both ways, but you just got far more reach and far more opportunity to move quickly if you go with the second one, if you give people autonomy in their region, in their specific um, in their specific function in the, or in their specific knowledge space to act quickly, to run and hmm. go. Hey, um, well, do you have any any positions you want to advertise or anything you want to spruik while you're... Yeah, I would like to spruik Ed Rollo. I'd like to spruik Ed Rollo as a place where you know, teachers are a, a specific group of people who want to make a contribution to, to students' lives. Mm-hmm. And we've got a company and we've got a workforce that is doing that in different ways to being there right in the classroom and we're convinced that uh, that the things we're, we're building, the things that we're providing students will have a greater impact on them than anything we could do, anything, any other thing we could do. Mm. And we hire a lot of teachers and our website will have jobs on it that um, invites teachers to uh, former educators or current educators to apply and become part of this, you know, part of Ed Rollo and part of the movement that's changing education in the world. So I'd like to spruik that if you're a, yeah. if you're a teacher. Have a look at our website. Working for Ed Rollo is a way to make a contribution uh, greater than perhaps I think you, you might have ever imagined as a teacher. All right, well, I'll put the links to your open roles there. Um, do you think we're ever going to see you at, in our Agile community again, Adrian? Are you going to be so busy now? Will you remember us? <laughs> well, yeah, it, the community, you, know, you just don't leave. If I left Melbourne, you might never see me again, but the community's... <laughs> We're now in, we've infected the whole work, the Melbourne workforce, so it's not not likely you're not going <laughs> to I'm going to disappear. I'll be at Agile Australia. I'll be around really? the place. Um, I might even submit some. Might even submit Ooh, a talk. Please do. No. My stream is closer to the customer, so um, we'd idea. love to hear from you. Definitely. Okay. It's been so great. I knew it would be talking to you. <laughs> I think you'll be. A, we'll try and get back and talk to you again in 2019 and see how it's gone. But it's been a privilege to hear um, what your first few months have been like at Ed Rollo, yeah. Adrian. You're certainly one of the faces in our community that has a strong following. So thanks for coming along. Yeah, thanks, Alex. That's quite uh, flattering and probably toked far from the truth. <laughs> no, not I'm glad to be here sitting with you and talking to you. <laughs> Hello to all my mates out there in Agile land. Yeah, wonderful. I'll say bye. No worries.